in five, four, three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today we have Jonathan Gomez, and this is a this is a very special episode for me because I've been uh, slowly getting to know Jonathan over the last year. Um, he currently works as a a doorman uh, at the building that I happen to live in. Um, he is a very, very respectable, um, has a lot of lot of stuff going for him. Lot lot of a uh, lot of stuff to uncover. Um, currently is a student studying criminology, um, was uh in the Marine Corps yes, uh, in the past, and uh just has a lot of great stories, a lot of great life experiences, and it's always been a pleasure uh just chatting chatting with Jonathan um so so yeah welcome welcome to the podcast thank you thank you I would say my eight hour shifts are a lot smoother when I see you and I get to hear about your day of your exciting adventures uh mountain climbing biking half of Manhattan or or all you always have a fun interesting story to tell me I'm I'm just uh trying to keep up with you (laughs) <laughs> so so yeah it's just a deep insecurity i'm just like oh he's probably doing fun things i need to do fun things too <laughs> i would i would say that the military is a lot a lot less fun than people think <laughs> I, I feel like the mountain climbing you do is a lot more exciting than mountain climbing i do and that's probably i probably could tell you a story about a, mine, a mountain climbing event in afghanistan that would be very very hilarious Wow. Let's just go right into it. What's <laughs> oh, what's the <laughs> yeah yeah? Well, can you before uh, before we get there? Uh, do you have anything else that you want people to know um, about about you and and any anything like that I may have missed in the intro? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you hit most of it in the nail. Uh, after high school, um, I got accepted to Polytechnic University, now called NYU Poly, um, which is a pretty decent uh engineering school here in new york city um i did a year of it um but i had always had a want to join the military as a little boy i remember i remember like the old school united states marine corps uh commercials that they did on a a constant basis so i was like it was always like for me a, a super cool thing so i told myself that i'd want to join the military prior to finishing my college career because I felt like if I graduated I'd be less inclined to go you know because I feel like more there would be more at risk you know so I did it um I did four years uh did two deployments to Afghanistan uh and when I came back I decided to go back to school except I didn't go back to mechanical engineering I decided to pursue a, a career in crime and more in the in the aspect of helping people stop going to jail that that's been my my goal or will be my goal when i fin- when i graduate this semester and uh try to start so yep i do i'm a concierge right now uh i think it's exciting work in the sense that i get to meet so many new people it's a lot of networking and you know being social and i'd like to think that when need be i could pull out my social card and be, you know be a, a good talk and give a good chat um i think most tenants have a positive you know 
uh, feeling of a positive attitude about me. So I think it's cool. But it's a, a nice gig, something I do while uh, I go to school and it pays the bills. Jonathan is the, the social chair of the building. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be yeah. the complete opposite of what my friends would say. I've told you, I told you this, Jonathan, not too mm-hmm. long ago, but um, I think my friends would say I'm very antisocial. And I think no one in the t- no one in the building would assume that with how much I talk and how like welcoming and I am and all that stuff, but it's just part of being professional. And uh, in reality, I do have a, um, I do enjoy talking to a lot of you guys. Uh, I, have, I think we have a great pool of tenants, all respectful, all cool, and uh, I enjoy seeing you guys on a day to day basis. That's not that's not me just you know trying to toot your horn. That's just being honest. <laughs> so nice. Uh, and side side like big thing is uh Jonathan's uh girlfriend is is uh pregnant and he's about to be a dad so that's kind of like a side side thing as well like a big really really big thing going on in your life which I feel like it was worth mentioning it was a yeah. oh yeah it was a, it's a massive <laughs> thing uh during I want to say uh the beginning after New Year's well. Uh, we sat down and said, you know, we've been talking about having children for some time, maybe about two years now. Um, and this January, we sat down and said, you think that I think mentally and financially, I'm ready to have one. And I wanted to see if you were in the same page. Uh, she's been pushing me to do it for years. So she was all about it. Uh, she was basically just waiting for me to be re- ready. And financially, I don't think anyone's truly ready because it's like, it's such a massive, like, thing but mentally i think it's more important to get your mind right to having a child and i think at this point i was and i'm super excited we're two months away it's november 6th is a due day but i'm really nervous it's gonna be a girl um so it, it's, it's it's gonna be it's scary just because it's a girl i think if it was a boy i'd be a lot more like calm about it but because it's a girl I don't know what I'm gonna do. Hopefully mm-hmm. she likes sports. Hopefully I, I've been practicing my ponytails, which I think is going to be my, my go-to hairdo. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Anything other than that, I'm screwed. <laughs> to be completely honest. I love it. Um, can we, can we hear this story about. So oh. the story is, uh, it was my first appointment. I deployed in Afghanistan. My first appointment to Afghanistan was February 2009. I had, almost, I think I was like six months removed from boot camp. So it's like, it was like right off, like all my training and stuff. So we did our first appointment in February 2009. Uh, I would say that the initial part, like the first month, I was terrified. Uh, but after some time, I got acclimated to like, the environment and the situation and my new, you know, my new life. Uh, it got easier. I think we just got kind of used to like what we were doing, patrolling and and all that stuff. But I would say, I would say it's probably a, a military deployment six months long. I would say month four, we had our first major op. So we were pretty excited about it. It's going to be a night op. Uh, hold on, one second. My headphones are dying. Hold on. I love that Jonathan has like a streaming setup. 
<laughs> it looks so sick. Yeah. Well, you love what? I I love that you have a uh, just like a streaming setup with a really cool chair. Like you're you're just so like good. you're just like <laughs> podcasts. Like I'm ready. Let's go. Well, I've, been, I've been I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. I've been prepping for it, and now we're here, and I could just <laughs> hit the ball at the park. So that's the story. Um, it was a night up, so we left around. I want to say like 7 p.m. Uh, the day before. Uh, so it was still kind of sunny. So we wanted to get there. We walked it out. Uh, one of the reasons why, one of the biggest reasons why we walked it out is due to the fact that um, they tend to put IEDs, which are improvised explosive devices, on the ground. And they, they pretty much, throughout the entire four months, we had pretty much stepped on them like once a month. So we were starting to lose vehicles. And, it was getting, and these these vehicles are expensive. They're like, they weigh about like a, a close to like 25 tons. They're heavy armored vehicles. And it was just too, uh, they, they, I would assume were thought it was being more cost effective to just patrol and not risk losing a, uh, another car. But we took a walk. It was a long hike. It's about 10 clicks. Um, it was a 10 click hike. We walked it. And then once we got there, there was this mountain. By the time we got there, it was already dark. We had already we already put our uh, MVGs on, which are night vision goggles. We put them on, and we climbed the mountain with MVGs. And I thought that this is the stupidest idea that anyone's because <laughs> I would say Jonathan, you could say that rock climbing is kind of difficult. You would say. I mean, I I go I. My my rock climbing doesn't count. Like I go to a <laughs> I go to a gym with other people who work at a desk and they're and they're just like looking for something to do. Like this is this is not the same category. Like I'll like I'll, I'll defer to your expertise. <laughs> Imagine doing that with your eyes closed the whole time. Because <laughs> oh there was no moon, there was no moonlight. It was just our MVGs, and MVGs, believe it or not, don't work well when there isn't any moon light because the moonlight helps us like you know see the the mbgs the see through the mbgs so we're climbing and it's just i'm every time i take a step every time i take a grab mind you i also have my weapon and a backpack with me that was supposed to last at least two three days it was supposed to be a a, a week-long op uh it, it turned out to only be three days we were there uh we had a bat had a the, the weapon weighs about 18 pounds uh, and then all your armor and everything is about 50 pounds. And then the pack backpack is probably another 50 as well. I probably have a hundred pounds of gear on me climbing a, a, a mountain and not being able to see anything. So we're halfway through the mountain and all I hear is like, you know, you've all seen the movies where like rock is like tumbling down. I yeah. hear, I hear that. I turn <laughs> around and I see my, I see the, uh, one of my friends. I just, through the MVGs, it was all I see him is fall. Like I see him just like I, it's kind of like, it like a Mission Impossible jump off a mountain. And I was like, we lost. I, at that point, I was like, we lost him. I I just thought he died because he had he he was um he had a an, uh, a machine gun with him, so the M23, I believe. Uh, and then it was just over. Uh, so when I turn around, I see him rolling down and but 
by go- by God's grace or the universe saying, you know what, I'm gonna say, just Jesus's hands probably went under him and he hit a <laughs> rock. He hit a rock and it stopped him right there. And I was just, I had, I because it was all it was a night out, but we we're supposed to be really quiet. We were trying to be very quiet, and then I was gonna yell because I was at that point I was just worried about him dying of, of just the fall. But I tried to like uh, I did basically two clicks on the radio to say that there was an issue, so, so that the the, uh, the 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 one in the front of the patrol could turn around and, and stop the patrol. So when we luckily we we uh, we stopped the patrol, we turned around. He he was good. We and then from there we just got up. It was. It was probably the most hilarious and scariest thing. Uh, when we got back from the whole patrol, we just laughed it up. He, he, uh, he just stated about how he was, he was scared shitless. He was like, at this point, he had like basically accepted the fact that he was gonna pass away off this, but uh, luckily it didn't turn out that way. Uh, but it and, was, and he was okay. Yeah, he was. Everything was fine. He just he got, was, got, up. got up. No way. <laughs> the, rock, the backpack pretty much uh, sustained most of the impact. Um, and he was fine. He probably the only thing that happened is his gun hit him in his face and it broke his glasses, and that wasn't, which is a little bit of issue because he couldn't see without his glasses. But we figured out he luckily had another pair in his backpack. Um, we finally got to the top of the mountain. We stood there for about a day, uh, which is exhausting. It's basically just we were over, so we were doing Overwatch, which is basically getting to the highest point of a of a of a terrain and just looking around. That was pretty much what we did. Uh, but we got back. I told him I had saw him my MVGs and it looked like he was just Superman flying. Like it was it was something. <laughs> well that's my rock climbing. It's probably the last time I ever went. <laughs> that was the last time I went rock climbing. After that. Yeah, that that sounds like something you don't really forget. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh wow. Um I can't even I can't even imagine like those circumstances and having that much weight and huh. Yeah, maybe uh next time I see you, I'll show you a picture of what I look. I lost so much weight. Uh because you eat um you eat so little, to be honest. They give you about uh they give you you get three meals, uh, but you really only get to eat twice because in the middle of the day you might be doing a patrol and whatnot and on that time during the patrols you might get an mre which are meal ready to eat which is like this packaged meal that is horrible horrible uh it's so horrible that if you read the package and the labeling it says for detainee use only so basically jail members are the only ones who consume mr are supposed to consume mres so that's that's something Hugh, did we try? Did we try an MRE when we went backpacking? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's the same exact one, but I definitely <laughs> remember you brought this brown pack and it said MR. Like, I think it was an MRE, but I don't know exactly they're, they're, what it was. It's definitely brown, so it's like a tannish brown. But yeah, and then. Well, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, mine. Mine was maybe that MRE that you buy at like, at like, some some like sports shop. So like I, can, I don't, I don't think. Something. Yeah. Probably way better quality. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wild. So, um, how how long were you in the Marines, and and what was that transition like back into civilian life? 
I was there for a total of three years and six months. Um, it's supposed to be a four-year contract, but um, during my fourth or my final year, um, we were starting to um, remove members off of Afghanistan. We were already trying to transition off, like the war was almost over and we were just transitioning um, back to like a uh, safe period of time, safe, uh, a safe time in our military department. So uh, they were asking individuals if they wanted to cut their, cut their contract short. I uh, definitely chose to leave. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll leave earlier. And that's not. The transition was very smooth. Um, I think I had a plan set to go back to school. I had, I think, um, right at the beginning of the third year of my contract, I decided to uh, go to, um, when I got, I, got, I was, went to vacation for, for one of the leaves. I decided to go take that time to sign up for school. I think the semester was maybe a couple months away. So I signed up, went to CUNY, CUNY.com. I applied for John Jay and all that stuff. And so I had already um, started the process. So when I came back, I finding work wasn't too difficult because um, I've always been someone with a with a huge social circle. So helping having someone help me get a job wasn't difficult. Um, I was actually a porter um, the, 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 when I got back. Uh, my dad had found me a job uh, as a porter, and I did that for the summer until school had started in, 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 in fall. So it was pretty smooth. Um, I had throughout my military, and hopefully there's no like generals or majors listening to the podcast because I'd probably get in trouble for it. what I'm about to say. But throughout my military uh, service, every weekend I'd be in a couple guys would go to New York or New Jersey because we just didn't want to spend the weekend in North Carolina. So every weekend we would take an eight hour trip down to New York City. And then on every Sunday, I would take the trip back and and go back to working. We're not supposed to because you're always supposed to, uh, during unless you're on leave, like a, an extended leave, you're supposed to be at least 50 miles away from base at all times. But thank God you never got called back like early. So that would have that would have been difficult. So with all that being said, um, I would always I would see my friends weekly. I would see my family weekly. So transitioning to just permanently being back wasn't too hard. That's that's nice that you had uh like some some sort of weekends and you like yeah uh like still still got to be with family and that, that must have been uh really nice to have i kind of regret it if i'm being honest uh, oh due to the fact that it was financially not a good decision i would probably we'd probably waste about 250 dollars uh every weekend on gas just on gas and then imagine what I would waste like on like the trips that I once I'm there, I'm probably like going out to dinner with friends and stuff like that. So it was very, 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 very cost uh, costly. But I mean, the experience was nice. I mean, Hugh Hugh just had a weekend in New York City, so he he knows it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about it. No, it was awesome. <laughs> it was a fantastic week. Mm-hmm. New York's got so much to offer. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. So, like, with regards to, well, kind of curious actually a bit more during your time while deployed in Afghanistan. I've never actually talked with 
um, someone who actually served and was deployed in Afghanistan. I was kind of curious of what did you think about or your experience of the culture there while on patrol and or living there? Like how does, because I'm still learning. I don't know exactly all the details of the whole political background, not to get into the politics of the whole situation, mm-hmm. but just kind of curious of what was your perspective or how did you, because uh, what was your experience integrating or learning about the culture? So prior to deploying, uh, we do do a, a month in 29 Palms, California. Um, and during that month, you would learn their language, you would learn their culture, their religion, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we were taught a little bit of it. Um, they're supposed to be like welcoming individuals who have like a code, a code of, um, code of conduct on how to like how to behave around people and it's pretty for the most part from what i can remember it's all like about respect they try to treat others how they want to be treated because that's what their religion um pushes on you know treating others kindly and all that stuff it's not like again not to get into politics i think they're portrayed very poorly uh in in like news articles and in in and when it comes to politics, when that's not the case. Uh, I remember during the attacks of 9-11, uh, the backlash they got, uh, like racist remarks, and it just took as the people had no idea who they were really, and they just took whatever the news was feeding them as facts. But I, do, I do think they get a bad rep, because uh, in reality, they're very respectful. Uh, during my time there, I met many civilians there. Um, they were nothing but um, respectful. Uh, I would say when it comes to like technology and stuff, they're pretty like far away from us. Uh, a lot of their houses are built out of mud um, and stuff like that. They don't have much light um, or, or any of the amenities that we have here in, in New York City or the United States. Uh, I'd say I would say their life is very difficult. Uh, no running water, none of that stuff. So it, it, it's tough. But that was expected when we, when we got there. Um, they pretty much just try to find and try to find any way to find ends meet um, and provide for their family to make sure that they're well-fed and well-kept. Um, but every experience I had there, I had very few, obviously, because uh, it's usually higher-ups, like captains and stuff that have, like, talks with um, high-ranking members in, in, the, in the, the community and stuff. But I'd had conversations with, like, small kids or young adults and stuff like that. And it was hard to, like, since there was a huge language barrier, we had we didn't have any meaningful conversations. Um, but uh, they're pretty kind. It's ask for water and stuff, just stuff like that. You know, yeah. I love that. That's amazing. And and it's uh, mainly Islam is the main religion, and then there's like Sunni and Shia, and it's mainly Sunni, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. So there's that's amazing a demographic of both uh, aspects. But that's, that's, I think, something that's uh, higher ups usually like learn more than we did. Pretty much learn, they, they speak Pashtu and Dari and Farsi. They speak a lot of languages. Uh, Pashtu is the one language that I, that I focused on because that's usually what they speak in, 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 the, in the Helmand province. Oh, really? What's like one line that you remember? Uh, Stanum, which is my name. Stanum Jonathan, which means my name is Jonathan. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Um, and then the other question I was wanting, I'm like curious, is like, how did you decide? You said you wanted to go into the military into uh, service before going to school. Like, what is it about the military that caused you to say, "Hey, like, this is what I want to do before I do that"? And 
Yeah. Uh, throughout my life, I've always wanted to do something with purpose. Um, so the, for me, the military was a purpose. Uh, I was like, you know, doing something for the greater good, something like that. In reality, in retrospect now, it's, it's really not. You're just like just following orders and doing stuff like that. You think you're doing the right thing and stuff like that, but it's hard to say because we have we get we get fed so little so little information of like the grand plan. So it's hard to say if I really made a huge impact. And I, I honestly don't think I did in the war in Afghanistan. But I wanted to do something to help people. Um, even after my military, as I as I said stated earlier, my purpose of studying criminology is to help people especially young teens. That's usually my, like the young adults and young teens, my focus on, you know, helping them avoid a life of crime. So I, that's just, I want to go to, one of the so biggest, to answer your question, the biggest reason I, I would join the military is because I wanted to go to bed and fall asleep knowing that I had, this, I had done something good that day. So that, that was it. Gosh, that's amazing. I, I respect that a lot. And I mean, makes sense that you're studying uh, what you are studying and looking to get into uh, working with troubled teens and uh, trying to prevent people from, like young young people from uh, getting into trouble. So that's, that sounds like a good segue into um, uh, your studies. So you're studying criminology. I think uh, you're starting your last semester, was it? Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the last um, semester I have until I graduate. Um, and I know I know we've talked about uh about classes and we've talked about um the kind of work that you want to do. Um, but yeah, do you do you mind just kind of like kind of like diving into um like what you've been learning in class um and then and then like what you're what what you're looking for um yeah i know i know you mentioned it earlier but kind of like the motivations behind it and like the impact that you're trying to make yeah uh definitely um so throughout my four years in john jay i've taken a lot of let uh electives which pretty much range from anything i choose on classes uh so i've taken art classes i've taken writing classes i've taken math classes but when it comes to my major i've taken basically a lot of my classes are a little bit of sociology, a little bit of psychology, and just understanding crime, not just in the present day, but also in, in, in the past, the early, um, the early uh, understandings of crime, basically how uh, in the medieval, medieval times, I actually took a medieval, a medieval crime class not too long ago, and just talk about how the ideas of why many uh philosophers thought crime was happening uh for instance initial ideas were that the shape of your head determined if you'd be a criminal uh the certain a certain shaped brain or skull uh, they they saw the skull as the shape of your brain so if you had a skull with a certain shape they assumed that your brain was that size as well uh and then that that would mean that certain areas of your brain were larger than others and if there was a, a certain area that that was focused on responsibility and stuff like that. If that area was larger, you'd probably be less prone to to, to um to crime. But if it was smaller, then you'd be less responsible, less mature. And they thought that. 
in reality, in the retrospect, it was a silly idea. A lot of those, a lot of theories back then have been debunked and all, all that. Um, I, modern crime shows that the biggest indicator of crime is one need. So social survival, I mean, survival, a life so like when someone needs food or needs um, something to stay alive, they, they tend to, if they can't get it because uh, they're, they're not doing well financially, then they find another means to get it. And usually it's crime. Um, now, the most recent class I took was youth and crime, which is what kind of gave, that kind of pushed me to help young adults and teens uh, avoid a life of crime. Because when it comes to them, uh, the biggest indicator of a life of crime is um, three things. Uh, one is uh, their family uh, status, like if they live with a good family and if they're well taken care of and if their parents are good role models and, you know, and they're doing well financially and, and they're making sure that the kids learn, you know, respect and responsibility and stuff like that. Uh, another aspect is your neighborhood, your community, um, just because nowadays parents are home very, not very often. Probably have most, uh, most uh, families who struggle, who are like low, in a low class or middle, middle class probably have one to two jobs and their parents are usually never around. So after school, which is 3 p.m., they'll just be home alone for so long. And during that time, they'll probably spend time around their community with their neighbors and stuff like that. So depending on what happens in the community, it could also lead a, a, a child to a life of crime uh, because peer pressure is, is, is such a big thing because if they can't find role models in their parents because they're always at work they'll find it with individuals inside the community but depending on what they're doing uh, that may lead them to be uh, responsible or to you know find enjoyment in like a life of crime and the third thing is school uh, due to the fact that when we, like I said if their parents aren't home, they're spending a lot of time in, in, in neighborhoods. The area that most kids spend most time in is school. Uh, so from eight all the way to three, you're probably at, on your classes. You do that five times a week. So a lot of your time as a, as a child is spent uh, in a school environment. And depending on the individuals you, you know, who's, who are in your social circle, that kind of gauges the kind of person you'll be. Uh, so those three areas. And those three areas are very easy obviously there's other circumstances that might occur that lead to a life of crime because you can never like you can never just put it to just one thing but those are the three areas you should you should focus on and they're easiest to tackle as well because so what my plan is is after um, school i want to become a social worker and probably for a high school um that way i could have very similar to my, what I do now as a concierge, I have daily conversations with students, uh, learn about their lives, see how they're doing. And even, and as I do with some of the tenants, you know, give my opinion on, on things and, and stuff like that. So I would love to do that with kids who are growing up as I, a child as high, in high school, I had a lot of good teachers um, who I found as role models who uh, would look out for us. I would, I would, I would say I'm very, very, very fortunate to have had so many young adults uh, in my high school that 
just wanted us to do well. They, they could, you could, it's like, you could see from a mile away that these teachers cared. Um, heck, for my college interview for NY, uh, NYU Poly, my, one of my teachers went with me just as, you know, just, just for support. That's imagine, an incredible teacher. Right? Wow. Just imagine just taking, stopping your classes or stopping whatever you have to, just opening up a huge block of your time because when we had to travel there, we had to do the interview and come back. That's a huge block of your time just for one child. Uh, so that dedication is something that I want to make sure I have with kids as well. And that will tackle like the school aspect that we spoke about earlier. Like if I can make sure that the the environment of a, a school is positive for these children, it will reduce the their odds of uh, finding a life of crime. And I do, as a school social worker, I'll probably have a lot of significant time with their parents. And hopefully that there I can also gauge what life is like back home. As for the neighborhoods, that's the toughest part. It's hard for it's like a lot of school, a lot of kids who go to uh, to high school don't usually don't go don't usually don't go to high schools around their house. Uh, for instance, I took an hour train ride to my high school, all the way from Washington Heights, from Washington Heights all the way to the Lower East Side, which is very very far away from my from my community. So I, I would say it would be very hard for Ace, and I think that's the case for many students. Probably not an hour. Probably like they're probably thirty minutes away from home or something. I would say the average student is probably 30 minutes away from their high school. So it's hard for you to have an impact in their community when you're not even, you're not even in it, you know? So I have a lot of friends who are educators. Um, I even have one of my best friends is actual, an actual social worker. And he just tries to have um, an impact in his own community and like of the school so that at least that community is positive. And then the kids that live in that community may one day go to that high school and and stuff like that. So he always tries to make sure. And he actually grew up around high school too. So it, it makes it a it makes it very easy for him to be a part of community when he grew up there. Um, I'm I'm curious about about what uh like a career path of a social worker looks like. So it's something it's something that I don't know a whole lot about, and I don't I don't think I'm not like. Jonathan, you're probably the the person I'm closest to who is kind of like on that career track. Um, so is it the case that it's it's like high schools and nonprofits who are employers of social work? Like like how does how does that work? Obviously, there's probably social workers that specialize with like homeless people or like um, and there are people that are like working with at risk youth, and then there are social workers who are working with like like the elderly or the disabled um so but also some in like you know prisons and stuff i think anywhere mm -hmm. where it impacts society and it involves people you can include a social worker you know it's it's very similar to like a therapist or something without the title of a doctor or the extensive you know uh school and stuff you still have to get a master's and sometimes you also even go for uh for more degrees but it's basically just impacting society as much as you can and helping others. Um, I had the I had the chance to follow my friend around during his thing, and obviously he works in a school environment, and so my my view of a social worker is pretty much just in that area. Uh, that's the only thing I can really tell about. But I'm sure they work in other avenues as well. But it's just helping individuals out, guide them, helping them, helping individuals uh, take the right path. And think about the decisions because just like people tell you that when you go to the therapist, all you do is like talk. 
because they they and they just listen because they want you to make up your own mind you want you to come because it's a lot easier for a human being to accept a decision when it comes to them if i tell you to do something it's going to be very difficult and very different than when you say hey you know what i'm going to do this when you come to the your own realization of something you want to do it's easier to accept so i think social workers and therapists just do exactly that they they like it's like when you're bowling when you're bowling you put uh you put the what's it, those uh the barriers up i have no idea what they're called the bouncing barriers on the side the, uh, the barriers, <laughs> you know when, you, when you're really bad at bowling you, you the bouncy majiggies <laughs> you actually put the walls up but it guarantees that you hit some pins i would say social work and uh, is that right there you're basically the barrier mm. like, I love that. you want to make sure that you they hit some pins you know, sometimes they hit them all and you're great. You did a great job. And sometimes they don't, but you, that's what bowling, bowling has two tries. So you still have, you know, you still have a, another go at those pins. So I would say that's what social workers are and just guide individuals to a right path. And then, but you're the one that throws the ball and that's it. I think you're going to be an incredible father. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, is this a podcast or a crying fest? Because you say I'm gonna start tearing. You say something like that. I think <laughs> I'm gonna do a great job. I'm nervous, um, but I just want what's best for my child. Uh, I hope I want I want to build an environment where she's comfortable to be who she wants to be, uh, do what she wants to do, and my job as a father is just to facilitate and just make sure that I'm there to hear her out, uh, not force my opinions on her even though i may be a lot older and wiser than her i I, i've always been the person where i want people to make their own mistakes just like i said earlier how people should come to their own decisions some people need to experience uh a problem to be able to solve it better right if i guide if i handhold my child through our entire life the moment i'm not there how does how do i expect her to like resolve her own issues you know, I want to I want to make sure I, I raise someone who is strong, resilient and who can be responsible and, you know, just make her own decisions, even if they're the wrong ones. But if you can get up, fix them and and take another path, then that's all I want. I think we're going to be great parents. I tell Diana this all the time. Diana is very similar to me. I think we have very similar mindsets. We're two individuals with huge hearts. Um, who try to be nothing respectful and nice to indiv- other individuals. And I hope to God that that's how my daughter is. Someone who's nice, caring, who sees something's going, sees something wrong and tries to help. That's what I hope. I'm, uh, thanks, thanks for sharing, by the way. I'm, uh, I am curious how you feel about raising a daughter potentially in New York City or around New York City. I I know you've mentioned in the past that that there's obviously this like grind and hustle to uh just to like of everyone who lives in the city and um obviously it can be very tiring to be a part of it. Um is is that is that something that you would want your daughter to experience growing up um, or um, yeah. Like, would you want, would you want your kids to like 
be part of the New York City school system, like I know it can be very competitive. Um, it's like at every step you're kind of like ranked and then you go to like certain high schools and uh, that's that's not what Hugh and I experienced growing up. And yeah, like some some people that some people that I meet are products of that environment. And I've heard a lot of mixed uh, a lot of mixed reviews um, from people's experiences. But curious what you think. Um, initially, um, I didn't I, I was looking and I I've always been I think I've had many talks with you about leaving New York City. Um, that's something I am still interested in doing. For instance, I spent a month in Spain, uh, Madrid, uh, not too long ago. And I just how calm the life was, was enticing, was very exciting, drew me in. And I, that's kind of that's kind of like, for me, like when I think of like, having a family, I think about, you know, having a house with a backyard and a front yard and knowing your neighbors and all that stuff. And I try to do that here. Like I know all my neighbors have relationships with them, but I just, I, I, it's like, as you stated earlier, it's a grind here. Like it's, I feel like, like you said, like I said earlier, most parents, most individuals in New York city have multiple jobs. They probably have a, a normal nine to five and then maybe they do Uber afterwards or Uber eats. They'll find a, a nice side hustle to do because living here is, is exhausting. Uh, you work 40 hours a week just for that entire income to go to rent bills, uh, all that stuff. And then if you do have a great job who that, that pays you substantial, it's most of the times you're working 12 hours. So you're not even working no, no more nine to five. You're either salary and you're working from 8 a.m. when you wake up or probably earlier all the way to nine. I've told you, I've, to, I've told you, I've seen tenants who come in on the phone with a client or an employee and just like job, work does not end here. So it's like, is that really a life? Is that, is that, is that a life that I want for myself? No, I want to work a normal nine to five where I'm not, uh, where I'm not struggling to pay my bills and pay my stuff. I'd say a bit of support for my family, but at the same time, have these have a large amount of family time, be there for my daughter. Like what, how do you, how are you a parent when you're not even around? Like, how am I supposed to be a good father if I'm not available to my, to my daughter? So I, I would love a job where, it pays well. And I just, I just think that's difficult here in New York, just because of the cost of living here is everything's expensive. Uh, rent here is probably like two or $3,000 minimum. And then from there, if the nicer areas, it go, it's, it'll skyrocket to five or 6,000. And then here, here in New York city, who makes that much? Not very few, very few people make 6,000 a month. And that would just be rent. We're not even talking about electricity, about water. Electricity here is about two to $300. Where when I lived in North Carolina, I had a two bedroom house with a huge backyard and a nice front yard for seven fifty, seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> like, that's so different than New York. No way. So different. <laughs> obviously, it wasn't like the greatest area in North Carolina. It was a military town, so you know it's not very enticing. But even if you go up to Raleigh or Charlotte, like you'll find decent. Uh, homes for a thousand dollars a month and that at least is sustainable than being i just i've spoken to you and i've talked to many individuals new york has to change the way they live cost of living is too high the and the, the work hours are just egregious i, I before this i worked for a, a tech company and it's i've told you this for instacart and i'd work i'd wake up at seven 
and I'd, I'd be at work all the way to 12, uh, answering emails, taking phone calls, et cetera, et cetera. And on the weekends, governing, managing multiple stores, I did not feel like I was on a break. I didn't feel like I have off days because I was either worried about how the stores are doing or I was taking a phone call from a manager for a, a fairway market or another um, thing, another uh, uh, partner uh, grocery store. So it's like, when did I get a break? When can I just be me? When can I relax? And I felt like during that those five years there, uh, the first three years as a shift lead was not um, too difficult. You know, I'd manage one store. That was my thing. I'd maybe answer a phone call from one of my employees, um, but that was rare. But as an area manager managing multiple stores, the stress was substantial. And it wasn't just me. My boss was stressed uh, and my coworker was stressed as well. So imagine three individuals who are highly stressed. How does that help us, you know, one, do productive work? when we're either feeling like we're getting pushed uh, to for profits and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I don't think, I, I'm very, I'm sure there's jobs out there in New York City that are great, that are less, you know, less strenuous. But right now I think it's common for individuals in many work fields to be pushed to their limits here in New York City. And I have spoken to many tenants who feel the same way. And many, my, many of my friends were, are the same way. I've had my situation isn't an anomaly. It happens constantly. And I, 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 I wish, um, and I, I think my, my job as a social work will be very close to that, but at least it's beneficial. You know, at least I know I'm helping someone. So at least it's something you could be proud of, like sitting down and, and go to bed and say, you know what? I helped this kid's life. I'm sure I'll get calls at 7 p.m. In the, at 7 p.m. Or, or, or 10 p.m. by a kid having an issue. And you know what? I'll get up because, you know, I probably have a, a strong relationship with the individual and I care for his well, his or her well-being. So I'll get up. And I, it's a lot easier to do that. When you're just working uh, a nine to five or a nine to 12, like I said earlier, just to like uh, meet, uh, just to be financially stable and to, to be able to pay bills, that's not that exciting. There's no motivation behind that. So, yeah. So I am nervous, but I think we will be, for the time being, um, I think it's too difficult to move now to a different country or a different state mm -hmm. and just relocate, get a new job. So I think it's too much. I'm asking my family to do way too much to try to relocate now when we're about to uh, greet a, a baby girl to the world. So I think we'll stay where we're at, where we're a little bit comfortable and uh, and just try to reduce like the risks. And then when when I think she uh, she's able, she's a little more a little older, maybe five or six or seven, maybe then I'll relocate. I don't want to relocate uh, just yet. And you're, you're relocating to Spain, right? Like Madrid? Uh, I've been trying to convince, <laughs> I've been trying to convince Diana. She's still anti it, but uh, she was, uh, the other day she was telling me like, why not just move, sorry, why not just move somewhere where it's away? Because she's, she's, she's only been here for uh, maybe four years uh, she 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 was born in Colombia so New York is very new to her so because it's new it's exciting New York is exciting I mean it's it's still a, a great I don't want to like I don't want to just like bring it down to I don't want to bring New York's picture down to the ground it's it's still a great place I mean you two uh John comes from LA and Hugh you, you come from uh Arizona. Arizona yeah so it's like 
you came here, you come here and it's exciting. I mean, I'm sure for Jonathan, it's not that big, not drastic change because I'm sure LA is just as crazy and hectic as New York City. But it's exciting. There's so much to do. There's so much to do here, so much to visit. It's when you think of the United States, you think of New York, at least as an immigrant. I think uh, more, a lot of coming from an immigrant family, when you think about the United States, you think about New York City. And that's it, it's exciting stuff, but it, living here is, is also, it's it's not what, I, I know a lot of individuals who've migrated here and have said, yeah, this is not what I thought it was. Because it's not, it's not like, it, I remember, you know, back in the day, there's a line about how New York is paved, uh, the streets are paved with gold. It's, they think it's just like money is just, you know, <laughs> on the floor for you to pick up it's not it's you coming here is you busting your ass because everyone else is busting their ass uh, if you if you don't come with that mindset you're gonna fail imagine imagine thinking the streets are paved with gold and you actually arrive and you see that it's trash and rats and cockroaches <laughs> and, 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 and pigeon poop everywhere like <laughs> <laughs> like oh man <laughs> oh god and then yeah, it's it's tough. And in reality, you come here and like you just said, it's the rats, it's the pigeon poop. There's a lot of homeless individuals here in New York City. And that's just a that's a lot of obvious it's hard to say why they're homeless, but it's it's because it's difficult to be here. It's difficult to get a job. There's also many addictions here, like and stuff like that. So they have their own reasons. But they're just there's also they're they're an image, they're a symbol that says like it's not easy to live here. Like you you're gonna struggle if you don't. If you don't like, you know, do the bare minimum. So, and I, that's, that's the same everywhere. I don't want to, I don't want to like, again, I don't want to shit on New York city. Cause like, if you, if I go to Arizona and I don't do anything, or if I just, you know, half-ass everything, I'm probably going to struggle, but I, I just, I can, I can only speak of where I've been. And I've been here in New York city for the, like the last, I live, I lived in New York for 28 years. I'm 32. I, I got the chance to live somewhere else for some time. And it was different. It was very different, but here, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, you've, you've uh, summarized the, the two sides pretty well, which is the cost of living is very high and and yeah, there there are it's you know it's a very like hustle and bustle culture and like a lot of people are like just like trying to get by and like just trying to like just like make it to the next month or like um and then and then on the other hand uh there's like so much of anything that you want to do just because of the density and just because of the way that the city was designed and so yeah there there are those two sides and yeah i one thing i find really interesting is i think in new york city i am i am a constantly re reminded about about uh the scope of income inequality because mm -hmm. there there will literally be a homeless person and then i look up and it's like like a penthouse in tribeca and like someone's helicopter pad <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's just it's the same thing like yeah. same street but i <laughs> it's like very interesting to see that and you know that that's not that's not unique to the city but that is like a that is something that I am mindful of in the city. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I think you're right in that aspect. It's hard, and it's, it's and that kind of sums up New York, as uh, like you said, you know, so it's tough.
well, the good thing about New York, it's extremely diverse. Uh, you have different races, different cultures, different religions, different ideologies. It's it's the one well, the one positive thing I have to say about New York is how accepting it is of who you are. You know, it doesn't, no one cares what color your skin is here. No one, and I won't say no one, but the majority of individuals here don't care what the color of your skin is, uh, what's your sexual preference. Um, and what's your religion all that stuff no one cares because we're so diverse we have a cult we have a club or an area for everyone and anyone you know so i i I love that about new york like i'm sure being gay somewhere else is difficult but here in new york thanks i've uh it's extremely accepting or being i I, i'm sure there's still states who who have an issue with uh, african-americans and stuff like that so but here in new york it's no one cares no one cares I, that's the one thing I love about New York is how, how it's they call it the mel- melting pot. It's just so many cultures, so many everything here. It's I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's like what whatever food, uh, whatever community. If you're if you're like I want to join a bike club, but for people who are like who are this good but not but not that good, like there's a bike club for that, and then. I'm, I'm, the, yeah, I'm I, the not good club. I'm the not good club. I'm a, I need to find <laughs> the not good biking club. That's where I go. Hey, whatever. Uh, we all we all have our like our unique workouts. Um, cool. Well, we ask all our guests this, but do you have any words of? Oh, do you have anything that you want to like give a shout out to? Um, mm, I want to give a shout out to individuals who have a job that help others in any way or form i think what you guys do if you do it with love you do it with care and you do it with respect you're doing an amazing job an amazing job and i want to shout you guys out i hope that if you're listening to this and you hear this and you're having a rough day at work just know that you made a change and that's something to be proud about awesome and uh do you have any words of wisdom, any parting thoughts to our to our uh, 10 or 11 listeners? <laughs> I think <laughs> if you're doing something you love, you can't be doing anything wrong. Uh, follow your heart. Uh, no matter what you want to do, as long as you want to do it, do it. You're going to don't care about the opinions of others or, or none of that. As long as you want to do it, you do it. And if you're going to fail, fail. Just make sure you get If it's something you truly want, you're going to get up. And you're going to continue uh, thriving for your goal. And that's that. That's my wisdom for our 11 guys. I hope that makes a change for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's amazing. Jonathan, Mr. Jonathan Gomez, you're incredible. And thank you so much for coming on, dude. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you huge today, uh, yesterday. Uh, no, before yesterday. Well, this whole week. It was nice meeting you. <laughs> a pleasure to put a face to the to the name. Uh, you were. I wish I could have gone. Obviously, because of the situations I was going through this week, I couldn't go out and hang out with you. I wish I would have, because uh, who knows the next. Hey, the next time you're here, uh, I hope Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, I think he's going to be moving soon. But if you guys are ever in New York again, reach out. I'll I'll tell my baby girl to 
chill out for a day and I'll, I'll go hang out with you guys. <laughs> I love it. Dude, right back at you. I mean, if you're ever coming out to this middle of nowhere, Southwest place called Arizona or whatever it's called, let me know. Definitely. <laughs> Arizona, Arizona's not getting very popular, honestly. I think you guys are, are up and coming, honestly. Yeah, it's true. yeah, totally. Yeah, Phoenix and Austin, those are two popping places these days. Oh my goodness. Well, to the man himself, thank you again. To anybody else tuning in for the first time, thank you. This is the Moon Tea Podcast. This is a podcast where we aim to talk about craft, community, building meaningful careers. And let's be honest, Senor Jonathan is literally the culmination of all three of those. So again, thank you so much for the time, man. Anytime, anytime. Thank you, guys. Cool. So if anybody wants to reach out, hop on the show, has an interesting story to share or interesting perspective can always reach out hop on email us at moonteapodcast at gmail.com with that hopefully today was amazingly interesting i mean i don't know if that's really like a sentence amazingly interesting but hey there we go anyways take it easy stay classy stay kind and keep on doing kind things and helping others just like jonathan with that peace